so your novel, A Brief History of Seven Killings, was awarded the Man Booker Prize in 2015, and the first book in your Dark Star trilogy, Black Leopard, Red Wolf, was shortlisted for the National Book Award in 2019. Yet these are not the reasons I find you intimidating <laughs> instead. <laughs> it's, it's the fact that you're an English professor, and all, oh of my, my all of my professors intimidate the hell out of me, so please don't let there be a quiz, okay? <laughs> Marginalia. Notes in the margin of a book. Notes, commentary, and similar material Marginalia written in the margin of a book. Comments and notes which, which, are, are, incidental which are incidental or additional, or additional to the main, the main topic. topic in the margin of a book. Marlon James is an award-winning author, a podcast host, a professor of English at McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota, and the executive producer of the screen adaptation of the first book in his Dark Star trilogy, Black Leopard, Red Wolf. The second book in the trilogy, Moon Witch Spider King, was released recently, and I had the pleasure of visiting with Marlon James about that book and so much more. I'm Beth Golay, this is Marginalia, and here's our conversation. Okay, so we're here to talk about the second book in your Dark Star trilogy, Moon Witch Spider King, which was released just this week. Since it is brand new, um, we'll aim for a spoiler-free conversation. And maybe we can start with semantics about the series of the book. So mm-hmm. the the trilogy is not a traditional epic following like one timeline or through line. Right. Instead, it, it involves a shift in perspective and, and crossing timelines. We learn the story of Black Leopard Red Wolf through the lens of the tracker and mm-hmm. Moon Witch Spider King is told from Sogolon's perspective. Right. And we th- and we think we know the third book will be told from a different perspective, maybe the boys, but I'm, I guess I'm curious what inspired this structure, you know, an epic of shifting perspectives to explore truth. Um, I think one one of the things that inspired me was African folklore to begin with. Um, and a lot of the stories that I learned when I was growing up, it took me a while to realize that my grandfather was telling us the same story <laughs> with different characters and 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 almost forcing us to, to, to look at the same people in different ways because the hero of story one is the villain of story two and 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 so on. And first I thought they were just me, he was just being lazy. I'm like, let's come up with some new characters. Um no, I think. He was in his way kind of encouraging us to rethink the whole idea of, of truth and, 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 and what exactly makes a story and how sometimes two versions of the same story can become two completely different stories, depending on who's saying it. Um, I mean, if it's my grandfather, what he ate that day or what, <laughs> and so on. And, and that has always stuck with me. So when I started writing this novel, it felt like all a lot of things sort of, it felt like almost like a homecoming that to me, I was always sort of, I don't want to say meant to, but it felt, there's something that feels inevitable for me about going back to, to this. Because, you know, my, the first stories I remember are stories being told to me. And the oral tradition is still something that's important to me. It's very important to me that my novels have volume and volume control. And um, that to me, this was um, almost a, a writerly attempt to sort of um, write something that's meant to be read aloud or can be read aloud rather. Have you heard the audio version I of have. this book? 
<laughs> because I, I buy the books, but then I also mm -hmm. buy the audio versions because I like to experience books simultaneously. I like to read while I'm listening. See, I just said that to somebody and they thought it was so strange. Oh, I love like, that's it. That's how I read because if I want to listen to the audio, I get distracted. And if I want to read the words, I take forever. So it's almost like, I guess I'm back in dictation class. Where, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the way I can then do a book in like a week. Yeah. Yeah. And do you um, do you think that the narrators of, of these two volumes so far, were they able to translate the volume and control that you intended on the page? Yeah, a little too well, quite frankly, because <laughs> no, when I when I do readings, people expect me to top them. I'm like, I can't I can't do that. I can't. Those guys are actors. You know, in Black Leopard, whenever there was a song, I think Dion, the reader, started singing. I'm like, dude, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> People are going to expect me to do that now. <laughs> it's like, I'm not singing. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I, um, they, I, you know, the, these are two very, very vibrant and brilliant um, readers and actors. And, you know, it's, I always say, you know, as a, as a writer of the book, I can make a book come to life. I think readers make it come to life and particularly people are reading it aloud. That's how a book comes alive. Yeah. So the books in this trilogy can be read independently and in any mm -hmm. order. Do you think that readers will be skewed by which book they read first or, or by which one they read last for that matter? Man, I am counting on it. I hope so. <laughs> I can't wait for the fights that are going to erupt on Reddit. <laughs> um, because you are, you are sometimes affected by who tells you the story first. Yeah. Especially if you believe that person. And, and, and some people will come, you know, will read this, this, um, people who've read Black Leopard will come across having a very, you know, a, 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 a pretty devastated look at Tracker. But there, I'm, but I'm sure there'll be people who go, mm, I still believe Tracker. <laughs> Was it difficult for you as a writer not to be biased by what you had written from Tracker's perspective first? Yes, in a sense that I knew it would be difficult. So I had to do some, take some extreme measures to make sure it doesn't happen. Um, I literally had to trick myself into forgetting Black Leopard. If for no other reason, I didn't want a novel that was merely a reaction to the previous one. Because when then it becomes a reaction, not really a novel, and it also sells the characters short because it implies that she even cares about Tracker's story. She hasn't even heard Tracker's story. So they don't have the same values. They don't, they don't even think the same things are important in telling the same story. So I had to forget him. I had to forget what he said and, and write it as if this one really was the first. At the same time, I had to bear, bear in mind the bulk of the people who read this probably already read Black Leopard. So I didn't want to go through this sort of tedious, same recounting of events. So now I'm curious, you know, the third book, are you, are you mm -hmm. working on it? Do you have to wait until you can forget this story before you can start that one? I kind of have to wait until I forget this or at least trick myself into forgetting it. So it will take a little while. I'm not necessarily ready to enter that universe yet. But um, my publisher thinks it's coming out in 2024, so I better get cracking real soon. <laughs> um, so I've seen this series described as an African Game of Thrones, and I have not 
read Game of Thrones, nor mm -hmm. have I seen any screen adaptation. Mm -hmm. So th it's with true ignorance that I ask, you know, is this a good thing? Do you like the description? Did you give it's it this description? Because I've seen different things. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people who are quite devoted to Game of Thrones are probably read this and go, what the hell? <laughs> This is nothing like Game of Thrones, and they would be right. In fact, in, in, in a weird way, this Moon Witch is maybe closer because there are all these kings and, and it's about the fate of a royal house, um, which makes it closer to, 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 to George, George R. R. Martin's novels. You know, I remember when I said that, um, one, I didn't think anybody would hear. It's, 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 <laughs> I, I, you know, it's like I didn't think a lot of people read that magazine. It turns out everybody who reads it is in media. <laughs> um, but you know the, the reason why I, I said that though is because with with Game of Thrones, um, with Martin, it it never occurred to it never occurred to him that an adult story with very adult very adult concerns and certainly very adult themes should let go of make believe, and um, and that honestly was a springboard into me reading back all the myths and stories. One of the things we forget about a lot of fairy tales is yes, their children read them, but a lot of those stories are very definitely not childlike. Either that or our children were pretty hardcore at some point to be handling those kind of stories. Yeah. Um, and that um the the telling using myths and using the fantastical to explain really serious things is something we've always done is one of the few things not few one of the many things that people all over the world have in common you go back and check the mythologies you can tell the story of these people we all have it every every nation every peoples have had it and we've always used the fantastical to try to explain for certainly the unexplainable so they serve a very adult purpose. They serve a very complicated purpose. And um, that novel, though that series, and it's not the only one, there are other books as well, reminded me that I didn't have to let go of the fantastical stuff in order to tell that kind of story. Speaking of adaptations, it's my understanding that Michael B. Jordan picked up the rights to Black Leopard, Red Wolf, and that you mm -hmm. are the executive producer. Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. How, how's that coming along? It's coming along slowly. I mean, um, slowly because COVID added two years to every timetable. Um, so we're still in the development stages, meaning we're we're finishing finishing up a script that all of us will like and and all of us can move forward with. But we're in a in, you know we're in a conceptual stage. Um, it's it's pretty. Turns out it's kind of hard turning six hundred and thirty pages into a script. <laughs> yeah, turns out you have to lose leave some stuff out. Who knew? Um, I was like, why don't just make it a nine-hour movie and be done with it? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want to go for that, huh? <laughs> no, no. Um, so that's the stage we're at where we're it's almost as if we're jumping back to say COVID didn't happen. So if if you separate COVID from the from the from the mix, then we're we're at the writing stage. Okay, but also to say COVID didn't happen, I, I think it was like with an interview you did with Michelle Martin that you wrote the bulk of this novel during COVID. So mm -hmm. you have to write the next one. You have to do the publicity for this one. You still are teaching. Oh. You are doing working on a movie. I mean, mm -hmm. how, <laughs> how do you do it? Uh, man, I'm not sure I do it. <laughs> um, you know, I guess certainly one at a time, certainly... 
having people smarter than me figure my, you know, figure my day out, um, realizing there's some things I simply can't do. Um, you know, this novel happened, it certainly was a quicker novel to write than Brief History, which took me around four years to write. Um, this novel took around 18 months. And of course, because it's not even that it, it, I mean, the entire, this novel was written literally the duration of the pandemic. It wasn't even, I didn't have anything before. I started writing it, um, I think around the week of March 20th. You know, so the, the week when, you know, it all went to hell basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, and I think I had something, something near finished by September, September 21. Um, and it's not necessarily that I'm that fast a writer so much as it became, it became almost my, I guess it became my sort of my COVID drug. It was, how do I escape this world? And the world was, you know, the world was, it's funny, the world was tragic and shocking, but it was also endlessly dull and boring. Um, COVID gave us several days that were just like the day before it. Yeah. So I, you know, I think because I, I became just, um, you know, not kind of addicted to this story, but also desperate to see how it would end and where it would go. So speaking of things that happened during the pandemic and circling back to something I find intimidating about you. So listening to mm-hmm. your conversations with, with Jake Morrissey, your editor mm-hmm. from Riverhead Books in the Marlon and Jake Read Dead People podcast. Mm-hmm. So the latest episode was in September of 2021. And are you mm-hmm. in between seasons right now? Will, the, will there be more episodes? Oh, we're already recording. Oh, okay. We're already, we're already recording. We, have, we already did two episodes. Uh, we clashed over the unreliable narrator, so that's going to be fun. <laughs> Um, he's still reading from me saying the be- the greatest movie made from a book is Die Hard. <laughs> I think, but I wasn't being ironic. I am absolutely one hundred percent certain the best film film adaptation ever is Die Hard. Um, yeah, we we we're we're um, of course um, all over the world right now, so we're on pause for a little bit. But yeah, we've already begun recording the new season. I enjoy it so much. He sounds exactly like Steve Inskeep. He could like step into Morning Edition and just take over for him. <laughs> you- <laughs> no, that that podcast happened because you know people would walk by the office, Jake's office, and we'd be like just throwing down in an argument, and they think we're talking. They think, man, it must be about Jonathan Franzen or something. And I'd say things like, "No, Hamlet does delay." <laughs> and <he's> like, <laughs> And, and it was all it was always about you know old books old plays historical not not historical novels that old usually from the the 18th and 19th century usually 19th century and eventually people kept threatening to record us until one day they just showed up with a microphone i think it's fantastic <laughs> in one of the early episodes of the podcast you said that you read indiscriminately so you're not a book snob right are you are you excited about any books right now by authors living or dead Am I excited? Um, the film Passing made me read Passing, which I actually have never read before. And it's a fascinating novel because for all the characters who don't make the movie. And I, I'm trying to remember the last time I actually saw the movie first before reading the book. And I'm so glad I read it. It's um, there, there are characters in the book that made me, it's actually made me question the movie. 
So that one was really, really, really interesting. Shockingly enough, I only recently read Giovanni's room. Um, and that, and I read it and think, man, I don't know if I could have handled this novel if, at, at 19. Um, my students, in terms of fantasy, my students turned me on to the popular. I think it's RF, I'm not gonna pronounce her name wrong, Kwang or so on. So I've been I've been reading, I've been reading that. Um I went back to some old Eon McEwan actually. Oh, I was reading yeah. I was reading The Cement Garden, which I never read before. I've not read that one. That is a dark book. Huh. And people think I'm dark. I'm like, I'm Mary Poppins <laughs> compared to some of the stuff. And you know, and um I I read a book. Um it's not actually not out yet. It's called Vagabonds by Eloso. Elosa Usonde, and she's Nigerian, and it's stunning. It's sexy. It's crazy. It's um, you know, it's 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 about you know, queer lives, trans, you know, trans in the sense of transitional as well as transgender lives, and all them in a, in a vision of of an African country which I don't think we've seen before, hmm. and I'm super excited about that book. Marlon James, the book is Moon Witch Spider King. Thank you so much for joining us. Ah, oh, thank you. Don't be intimidated. <laughs> okay. I mean, I do tell my students, you know, you split the infinitive, so I'm taking a plus off that grade. But anyway. <laughs> that was Marlon James, author of the book Moon Witch Spider King, which was published by Riverhead Books. Thanks for joining us from Marginalia. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editor is Luann Stevens, and our producer is Haley Krausen. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.